Well, friends, good morning. Welcome uh, to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church on this lovely spring morning. My name is Matthew. I am the senior pastor here on behalf of all of us as a congregation. Glad that you could join us as we gather for worship today. I don't know about for you, but as I was making the long journey uh, of my commute from home to church this morning, I had just barely enough time to notice that there were birds singing uh, as I was walking outside. And maybe it's because I'm a pastor, I don't know, but I started thinking about Psalm 84, right? Which, if you know it, uh, or if you don't, is about uh, someone who wants to go to God's house because that is the place where you know you belong. And it is a place where almost anyone could belong, even a sparrow can find a safe place to nest their young there. And I was thinking about that today because your journey to church may have been longer than mine, but there is probably a sense in which on your way here, you brought things with you. Griefs, sorrows, fears, concerns. Maybe you had a fight on the way here. Maybe it's been a really tough week and you're not sure what matters. Whatever it is that came with you on your journey here, this is the place where even a sparrow can find a safe place, and you can too. And so friends, welcome in the presence of God to Pleasant Street. As we get started, a couple things I want to highlight for you as we're getting started this morning. The first is that you may have seen uh, in our pre-service loop, uh, we've been doing these lecture series this year talking about issues that are important in our world after the pandemic. The last one of the year is coming up on May 6th at 6 p.m. We're really excited about this. It's Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin. One of her books we'll be studying together in April. She's going to be here on Saturday, May 6th at 6 p.m. Uh, to give us a lecture. She's coming from Cambridge. Wonderful scholar and thinker. Please do come. It's free. Invite your friends. Look for more information coming about that in the future. The other thing is that... Um, during, uh, during the season of Lent, one of the things that the church is doing is it's preparing people for baptisms and membership. And we're excited to announce that on uh, April 16th, Sunday after Easter, we will have a chance to welcome some new members and to uh, celebrate some baptisms. And then afterward, we're going to have a potluck together. So if you want to find out more information about that and how you can help, uh, take a look at your bulletin to find out information there. Uh, finally, uh, the elders have been doing some work in thinking and reflecting on some of the really important topics affecting our denomination uh, and our culture in the wake of the pandemic, particularly having to do with human sexuality, and a large report our denomination wrote over the span of the last seven years. We have a letter for you. We wrote to you. So if you would like to see what we've been thinking about and learn some of the things we hope for the future, uh, there is a letter on the way in uh, when you came in this morning, if you missed it then, you could get one on the way out. Resist the temptation to read it during church. Um, you'll have time later. Uh, anyway, so uh, finally I want to mention that today we get to celebrate communion, uh, and we're going to turn the sermon discussion time back on after worship. Uh, so please do feel free to join us for that. Last but not least, I have uh, a number of special guests to invite up because they have one more announcement for all of you. So I'm going to turn it over to my friend Emma. Good morning, everyone. Um, next Sunday, our youth group will be holding a breakfast. It's going to be April 12th, and it'll be 8.30 to 9.15. We will be serving eggs, bacon, pancakes, and assorted sweets. 
Um, we'd love to have you all come. It is free. There is no sign-up sheet. You guys can just come if you want to. And once again, it's 8.30, April 2nd, and we hope you all decide to join us. Thank you. Friends, would you just rise and body your spirit as we begin our worship? Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Lord, works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He makes known his ways and hosts, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you the mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everything in his name. Praise the Lord, my soul.
his one and only Son to save. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only Son to save us. Whoever believes in him will live forever. in freedom for God so loved God so loved the world bring all your failures bring your addictions come lay them down at the foot of the cross Jesus is waiting God so loved the world the power of sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and so much stronger, the King of glory, the King above all kings, who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder. amazing grace, this is a failing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, you laid down your life, that I would be our chaos back into order, who makes the orphan a son and daughter, the King of glory, the King of glory, who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all of its brilliance, the King of glory, the King above all this is amazing grace, this is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, you lay down your life, that I would be you've done for me. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered 
amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. I sing for all that you've done for me. Friends, you may be seated. Everlasting God, fountain of all life and the true home of every heart, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Yet we confess that our hearts have been enslaved by selfish passion and desires. We have sought after many worldly things and have neglected what we actually need. We have not loved you with our whole lives. Help us to turn to you and find forgiveness. Let's take a moment in a silent confession to God. The Lord God said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Hear this good news, friends. Through Christ, our minds and our hearts are cleansed, healed, and renewed. So I'd like to invite the deacons to come up for our offering. They're going to be passing the baskets around. Uh, in your bulletin, there's a QR code. Uh, you can scan that to give um, through that, too, for people online. Uh, I'd like to offer this prayer right now. Father in heaven, you are an abundant God. You offer us a grace that we can't comprehend. But Father, whether it's with our talents or our time, I just offer this to you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So as they're passing the baskets around, I have these words of encouragement for you. Come thou fount of every blessing. You have called us to a repentance, hearing our confessions with a heart of grace. Lead us out of the wilderness and into the life-giving waters, that we might be renewed in our commitment to serve as Jesus served. Streams of mercy wash over us and refresh our spirits, for we are battered and worn by the world in which we live and by the ways in which we allow ourselves to succumb to this rage and fear. Enliven us by a new birth, that we might be raised from the challenges we face and greet this day in a spirit of joy. Bind our wandering hearts, Lord, to you. Inspire us to lead with courage and compassion, with authenticity and humility. Inspire us and bless you and all your beloved with grace that flows abundantly in, through, and around us. 
by the power of your Holy Spirit in the name of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who is the beginning of the good news for all the people. Thou art, how great Thou art. 
Jesus offers us a peace and we get a chance to respond with, with spreading that peace to our neighbors. So with that, the peace of Christ is with you. Kids Street kids come up here. People of God, what is our prayer? Love and serve Jesus. Good morning, friends. We continue our worship together by offering up our prayers to God. We do this sometimes with words that God has given to us, sometimes we do it by leaning on the words given to us in Scripture today, I would like to use Psalm 30 as a template for our prayer together. And so if you would like to open a Bible or your phone and look at that to follow along, I'd invite you to do that with me now. Just thinking about Psalm 30 because it is, it is a poem, a prayer about what it's like to know God in both joy and suffering. And in the presence of other people who know God and joy and suffering. And in that way, I feel like this psalm captures some of the spiritual terrain of what it can be like to follow God. And during Lent, that's what we are doing. And yet the psalm itself has spent uh, most of its time in a story of pain. And today, 
knowing that there are many sorrows and sufferings in our midst. I take that as an encouragement for us that sometimes we do get to know God best in a time of suffering, when all we can do is cry out for mercy. And so, friends, we pray this morning because, of course, we have been just reminded that He already has. So, friends, would you join me in this prayer? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we exalt you, O God, for you lifted us out of the depths and did not let our enemy gloat over us. Lord God, when we call to you for help, you heal us. Lord, when our lives were sinking in ruin and death, you brought us up from the realm of the dead. You spared us from walking a path to our own destruction. And so we sing your praises as your people. We lift our voices in words and song with praise because you are not like us. You are holy. Your anger with our sin is justified, and yet through Jesus you snuff it out. And instead, we now live our lives with your smile upon us. Lord, in this life we weep, and sometimes we weep all night. But because you are good and faithful, the sun rises and the morning comes, and against all odds we find new reason to rejoice. We rejoice because whether it is night or day, you are God. And so we give you thanks for people in our congregation today who feel secure in your love, who can, look at the li- who can look at their lives right now with hope and joy and promise for the future, claiming that you are truly good and that your mercies are new every morning. We also remember those in our midst who feel as though you have hidden your face from them. Those who know too much dismay, whose only food right now is tears. And for both those secure in your love and those who weep all night, we use the breath that you have put in our lungs to voice our prayers to you. Hear and answer our prayers, O Lord. We give thanks with Doug and Linda today at the news of a new grandchild. Thank you for Isla and that she and her mom have arrived safely together in the world. Help little Isla to grow and surround this family as they get used to each other and begin the journey of learning to love. We give you thanks also for the deliverance that we've seen in reports about successful surgeries and procedures with Minnie and Bernie and Donna, we give you thanks for her procedure this week and that she has been so very much pain-free throughout it. Lord, we give you thanks that you've brought Jerry Kay safely through surgery. We ask that you would be with Phyllis and the family as they await news about what comes next. We give you thanks that Carol, whose journey has been so bumpy, is home. Lord, we also lift up to you those who face illness and ongoing treatments for cancer and other illnesses. We pray for Rick and Leanne. We pray for Jack. We remember Ron V. We think of Hank. We think of Dick M. 
Think of Maggie. We also remember together those who know well the pit and grief and sorrow as of late. We remember the heart and planting of family, the Stinson family. And beyond the walls of our congregation, we think of other people who are experiencing sorrow and tragedy. We think especially today of the people of Rolling Fork, Mississippi, and Sharkey, and Carroll, and Humphreys, and Monroe County in Mississippi, and those in Morgan County, Alabama, after such a devastating set of storms. We think of them because it is tornado season, and we wonder and worry with them about more to come. Please watch over them, Lord God. Provide shelter for those who have lost theirs. Lord God, we bring you our joys and our concerns, and as sometimes happens, the concerns are louder than the joys. And yet we bring them to you without hesitation because you are the God who turns wailing into dancing. You are the one who can give us something else to wear besides funeral clothes. Indeed, even now you are clothing us in the life of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, who was wounded that we might be healed, torn so that we might be mended. And so even now we sing your praise, Lord, with whatever breath we have, knowing that one day we will sing with you in glory in the place where there is no weeping and no more suffering. And so until that day, we pray these things in the name of our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading today is from Jeremiah, the second chapter of Jeremiah, beginning at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O Jacob, all you clans of the house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me, that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coast of Kittim and look. Send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? 
yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And starting again in verse 23. How can you say, I am not defiled? I have not run after the bales. See how you behaved in the valley? Consider what you have done. You are a swift she-camel running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving. In her heat, who can restrain her? Any males that pursue her need not tire themselves. A mating time, they will find her. Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods, and I must go after them. As a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the house of Israel is disgraced. They, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, they say to wood, you are my father, and to stone, you gave me birth. They have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. Where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come if they can save you when you are in trouble. For you have as many gods as you have towns, O Judah. Why do you bring charges against me? You have all rebelled against me, declares the Lord. In vain I punished your people. They did not respond to correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a ravening lion. You of this generation, consider the word of the Lord. Have I been a desert to Israel or a land of great darkness? Why do my people say, we are free to roam. We will come back to you no more. Does a maiden forget her jewelry, a bride, her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me. Days without number. The word of the Lord. We are, during this Lent, looking at biblical images of sin. And we're going to continue that series uh, as we've been doing throughout uh, these six weeks. Uh, but before we do that, would you join me in a prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, gathered here among your words from the prophet Jeremiah, we ask that the meditations of my heart uh, and of these words would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you're just joining us, it's Lent, and during this season of Lent, Christians follow Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, just as his first disciples did. And along the way, he is trying to tell us why it has to be like this. Because he tells us that in Jerusalem, uh, they're going to kill him. And so we are wondering along the way, what is wrong with us? 
What is wrong with us that Jesus has to walk this path in order to make new life possible? I was thinking about a quote by Leo Tolstoy this week, perceptive doctor of our nature that he was. He once said this. He said that man's, or human beings, whole life is a continual contradiction of what we know to be our duty. In every department of our lives, we act in defiant opposition to the dictates of our conscience and our common sense. Our whole life is a contradiction. We do the opposite of what we know we are supposed to do and what common sense tells us we ought to do. Tolstoy, this Russian novelist who lived two centuries ago in a totally different culture on the other side of the world, has managed to capture something that everybody in our town today, I think, could agree with. We do not do the things that we should do. In fact, we do the opposite. We do things that harm our bodies and our spirits. We pursue that which fractures and dissolves meaningful relationships. Secularists, Hindus, Baptists, Presbyterians, Muslims, townies, and transplants, we can all agree on this. We are a contradiction. But the question is why? Why do we do this? So one answer that you might hear today, common from Christians, actually, or from otherwise, is because we're broken. Consider how many times in a prayer or a conversation you are likely to come across this term, we're just so broken. We like broken because it's non-threatening. No guilt, no responsibility with broken. It's just broken, right? It's not the lamp's fault. It can be a neat euphemism for less pleasant words like sin which is part of why we like it, but sometimes broken doesn't cut it, does it? Uh, several years ago, Deborah Reenstra is a professor of English and a Christian. She once noticed this in one of her own blog posts. She noticed how broken has become the word to talk about what's wrong with us, and she said the problem with broken is that it's too pretty. Broken is, is too weak of a word to hold up the weight of sin's magnitude, she writes. Broken seems to sidestep culpability and evil. Jesus did not say to the Pharisees, oh, you beautiful, broken, misunderstood people. How very human you are. No, he called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. I wonder, she writes, if broken allows us to avoid honest self-examination and less pleasant descriptors. After all, if all that I am is broken, then all I need is a little clamp and glue. No, broken does not capture the severity of things when we are talking about abuse or neglect. It does not capture it when we are talking about systemic or intractable injustice or racism. Broken does not explain wars of aggression or military escalation. Broken does not explain our desire to do things that we know harm us and others. It does not explain our compulsion to do the things we know we should not do. But do you know what does? Addiction. 
which is the diagnosis that Jeremiah seems to be suggesting to us today. We are not beautiful, misunderstood, broken people. We are spiritual addicts. We are addicted to lover gods. But it is not that simple to say this. The Bible, my friends, is not reductionistic about our problems. The Bible, if you look carefully at it, is far more nuanced than we are when it comes to understanding our problems and the names for these things. So come with me for a little bit because Jeremiah's word to us is careful. Jeremiah here in chapter 2 at the beginning of this magnificent prophecy of from Jeremiah, he is looking at the world and he sees many problems. The poor are exploited socially. The widows and the orphans are viewed as a cheap labor force instead of precious, vulnerable people. The land which God has given to the people of Israel has become polluted and sick, so sick that it's on the verge of vomiting them back out again. Politically, the leaders are corrupt and self-seeking, and they walk the path of least resistance. The moral voices of their culture, the teachers and the preachers and the scholars, they have all forgotten which end is up. And there are enemies, powerful global enemies on the borders who are poised to swallow the people of Judah whole, and everybody goes to church saying, God's fine, everything's fine, we're going to be okay, right? But it is why this is happening that's truly Jeremiah's point. Jeremiah is not interested in which version of history the people are telling about themselves, or which are the best practices for a government. He is interested in diagnosing a spiritual condition, which is what he does in this magnificent and disturbing chapter in Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah, my friends, is not clinical about our condition. He is not walking us through test results from a biopsy and calmly exploring treatment options. This is not a consultation with a doctor. These, my friends, are divorce proceedings. Judah has been unfaithful to her husband. Judah and all Israel, the people of God and us, we have abandoned God, our lover and our husband. Throughout Scripture, one of the key images that we are given for depicting the relationship between God and His people is as a marriage, which is the image that we are given here. The Lord says that once we were married and we were in love and we were in the desert and we only had each other and man, was it great. But then I brought you to this land and you have fallen in love with others With this voice of a jilted lover, God says in verse 5, right, you put distance between us. You turned cold. You closed me out. What did I do, God asks, that you turned away? What did I say? What happened? And now you've all gone after worthlessness, and the result is that you have become worthless. The word that Jeremiah uses here is havel, Vapor, meaninglessness, emptiness, bubble. And this is helping us to understand that while the language is is about a marriage between God and His people, between God and us, the practice that He is getting at is idolatry. Idolatry is taking something in the world and treating it like the God who made the world. We take wood and stone, Jeremiah says, and we say, you made me. 
We take our kids and we say, complete me by living out the life and dreams I couldn't for myself. We take a job and we say, would you please satisfy the deepest cravings for my purpose in life? We take a sports team and we cheer for them no matter what. We need them to win so that we can feel victorious in our otherwise frustrated life. We take beauty and we ask it to help us outlive death. Idolatry is taking something in the world and treating it like the God who made the world. And I want to know, my friends, has there ever been a time in your life where you looked at something that you didn't have, a relationship, a title, a promotion, a career, a new situation, a car, a house, a certain neighborhood to live in, and you said, if only, if I could just get there, then I'd be happy. There's a good chance that you said this because you were somehow dissatisfied with where you were at the moment. Now, for many of us, if we got to that thing that was on the horizon, what then happens? Many times it turns out not to be as satisfying as we hoped it would be. I once knew a guy, worked his whole life to get to that corner office on the top floor, he was talking about his life retrospectively. He looked at me and said, yeah, I've been there. There's nothing up there. But how bitter the disappointment to spend most of your time getting there only to find out it's hollow. Jeremiah says that this happens to us because we are thirsty. The dissatisfactions and discontentments we experience in this life, we don't know it, we don't realize it, but they are actually a thirst a thirst for God. And to be honest, I think what Jeremiah wants us to see is that most of our lives are driven by this thirst. Not by fullness, but by emptiness. We all have a cistern, you could say. An underground storage tank that must be filled which is the image that Jeremiah gives us about what Israel is doing in, in verse 13. The trouble is, he says, our cisterns are all cracked. Now, in an arid, waterless hill country like the one that Jeremiah is referencing around Jerusalem, you have to know that there is no consistent water supply. So if you're going to create a settlement, if you're going to live in a place, you need a reliable source of water. Now, springs of water in that area, they're the only sources that you can find in this barren climate. And so you have to settle near a spring because it has flowing, fresh, consistent water. It has what the Bible calls living water. The other thing that you could do is you could dig a cistern. You could dig an underground storage tank, and they would do this at this time, but you have to keep filling it up. And you have to make sure that the bottom is waterproof because otherwise all of the energy that you have exerted to try to bring the water to this place, if you dump it in and the bottom is hollow, it will just leak right back out again. God says, I am Israel's living water source. I am the continually flowing source of new life, but instead every one of my people has said to themselves, I'd rather dig our own cistern. And what's worse is that all of your cisterns have holes in the bottom. Israel has this spring of living water, Jeremiah says, 
But so much do they detest God, they would rather dig a hole and fill it up and drink its tepid contents than to use the living water that God has put in their midst. Oh, my friends, this doesn't make any sense. God offers everything that we need in himself, and we somehow know this within ourselves, and we say, no, I'd rather dig my own hole. And so the Lord turns to the heavens to call his witnesses in the divorce proceedings. And God says, heavens, have you ever seen anything like this? In all the world, is there any other people from one end of the world to the other? Is there anywhere else that you can look in the world and see some other group of people who have given up their God who is their glory and chosen other gods? And the answer is no. We have never seen anything like this anywhere else. Jeremiah's point is that this is not rational behavior. It doesn't make sense. We are taking blocks of wood, social media profiles, instruments, resumes, titles. We are holding them up in a lover's embrace and saying, you complete me, baby. It's not rational. It does not make sense. And this is where we are starting to see. Jeremiah says, the other thing is that we can't seem to stop. These idols, these false gods whom we behold and devote ourselves to, they aren't idols, they're lovers. And in the poetry of chapter 2, it continues, and we see in the second reading from verse 23 to 32 that actually we don't have idols, we have lovers. Sometime, read chapter 2, verse 20. On every high hill, Jeremiah says, in every place where people worship, we what? We worship idols? No. We lay down like a prostitute. Do you see? Jeremiah is using language of husbands and wives and adultery to talk about idolatry. Is this anti-women? Is this just shock value? Is he trying to get our attention? No. No, I really don't think so. I think he is trying to show us something about all of our spiritual relationships with God. Jeremiah is saying that our problem is not that we spend too much time on the internet or we're too deep on politics or whatever it is. He's saying that spiritually speaking, you and I are in bed with something. We are vulnerable to something that we have given our love and devotion to. And you know what? We can't stop. We're like a woman who would walk a thousand miles in the desert, running barefoot in the desert to find something to revere and devote ourselves to, spiritually looking everywhere, finding nothing. My friends, running in the desert is a terrible idea. There's no water in the desert. We are thirsty. We're running in the desert. We're digging cisterns without a bottom. Why do we do this? It doesn't make any sense. We're not thinking clearly. Doing things like running in the desert, digging a faulty cistern, water's right there, we can't see it. Jeremiah says we are like animals in heat. Think about that. Have you ever seen an animal in heat? Everyone else knows what's going on. 
But the animal doesn't. The animal is not thinking clearly. Jeremiah says, this is us. We're talking about thirst and idolatry and adultery. We are quick to say, yeah, I don't think so. Right? I, I'm, I'm in control of my life. I, I can stop when I want. I know what's important to me. I make my own decisions. Jeremiah says, yeah, that's what the addict says. Like an animal in heat, it may be possible, my friends, that other people in your life can see what motivates you better than you can. We have a spiritual addiction to love our gods. We can't stop. So those of you in this room who have an addiction or who have loved people who do, you know how carelessly we use this word sometimes. I'm addicted to Jane Austen novels. I just have this dark chocolate addiction. I'm addicted to buffalo wings or running or cat videos. You know that this is not the way it works. You also know how devastating addiction really is. Jeremiah is not using the term addiction lightly, my friends. An addiction itself is a complex condition of social, psychological, personal issues. Jeremiah's point today is not to say that all addiction is sin. His point is to say that, spiritually speaking, all sin in our lives is addicting. And it happens because we experience emptiness and loneliness and pain and distress. And then we try to cure this distress with the same thing that is causing the distress. And this is why addiction is cyclical and why it also spirals down. Because when we try to cure our distress with the thing that causes the distress, it only enlarges the void it was meant to fill and the cistern gets bigger. It only washes the bottom out more. This is why addictions have a tolerance effect. Because the more you take, the more you need. I think it was Jonathan Edwards, a preacher 250 years ago, who said that addiction's like a fire. No fire has ever said, that's enough fuel, I'm good. The more you give it, the more it grows and the more oxygen it consumes. And this is, spiritually speaking, what sin does. My friends, no one tells one lie. Lying results in more lying. A lie will promise you control or power or influence over your own story or over someone else or over a situation. But after that momentary high of controlling the narrative, you come down and you come down a little lower, realizing that now I can't be trusted. Which makes you want to lie again, if for no other reason than to try to escape that feeling of emptiness. Friends, no one demeans one person in their life. 
It's never enough to step on one person's humanity and make yourself feel superior to them. Why? Because after you demean one person, you will feel momentarily better than them. But you will come down off that high, feeling lower about yourself than you did when you started. And so you will have to step harder on more people. You may need to even resort on putting on the thick boots of racism and prejudice in order to step high enough. But what you lose, my friends, is the ability to ever see yourself rightly again. You will forever be looking taller or smaller than everyone else in your life. You will lose the ability to feel at home in your own skin. And this is the cost of sin. If you look at this passage, nowhere does Jeremiah get worried about breaking the rules he does not say that our problem is that we're just weak-willed. Nowhere does he say that when it comes to spiritual drugs, boys and girls, just say no. I think we've all realized how pointless that advice was. That's not the problem. The problem is not willpower. The problem is our appetite. Sin has distorted the things that we love and the things that we think will help us get better. God is living water, but what we crave is tepid and diseased. What he offers us is a relationship of mutual love and what we want is a spiritual slave master. This is how sin addicts us, my friends. It promises things that it cannot deliver on and we forget what it was that we wanted in the first place. My friends, what we are all hungry for is joy, but lever gods can only give you fleeting pleasure. What we want is freedom. What lever gods give us are moments of euphoria and then numbness. What we are thirsty for is God himself, but what we settle for is the corrosive sugary soda of false gods that only makes us thirstier. And after we sin, we forget. We forget that joy was possible. We forget what real freedom could feel like. We think now there's only pleasure. Now there's only numbness. God is a spring of water, living water, but we detest it. So we dig cisterns deeper and deeper. Not, not because we don't know where the water is it's because sin has made us think it would poison us. Well, all the while, it is sin that is the poison. My friends, the picture that Jeremiah, neurotic, emotional, dramatic, Jeremiah gives us is not flattering. We are digging cisterns. We're trying to store meaning for ourselves and broken ones. We are an animal in heat, not thinking clearly, and everyone else can see this better than we can. We are desperate for love running through the desert. We are two open arms, desperate for an embrace. Why is he doing this? Why is he doing this to us? Why wound us with this news? Friends, Jeremiah's words aren't a consultation. They are an intervention. This is not a counseling session between us and God. It is divorce proceedings. 
God is serving us papers. He's saying it's me or the drugs. Like the parent who realizes that their next fix will cost as much as a new pair of shoes for their child. Like the DUI and the suspended license. Like the divorce papers on the kitchen table. We need a turning point. Jeremiah gives us one today. God, our husband, calls the heavens to bear witness to our adultery, our idolatry, our compulsively open arms, and for a moment, for a moment, we remember how it used to be. That once in the wilderness, God was all we had, and we were all that God had. Do you know what, my friends? If you read this passage, you see that God remembers that early marriage with fondness. God is not sitting across the table from us today saying, that was a mistake. I should never have married you. God is grieved by us, but it's not that kind of pain. Do you see, my friends? God is not wishing it never happened. Instead, God is longing for how it used to be. God says in the wilderness, I had you all to myself, friends. The wilderness was a place without water for Israel, but God remembers it as a honeymoon. Recently, I was talking with someone whose father is a professional musician. He told me this really funny story about how when his father got married, he brought his clarinet with him on his honeymoon. <laughs> and then he came home and he unpacked and it occurred to him that it was a crazy thing to bring a clarinet on your honeymoon. Why? Because you are not going to practice your clarinet on a honeymoon. That's not what you're there for. Friends, God remembers the time when we were not thinking about anything else but Him. It's a memory that we can just barely remember from the garden. How it was when Adam and Eve walked with God in the coolness of the day. We had nothing but God, and God had all of us. And that, my friends, is what it means to be a joyful and whole and healthy person. God remembers how it used to be. He remembers a time when Israel wasn't running through the desert searching for water. They walked through the desert, quenched by God their living water. God was their source of ever-flowing streams in the wilderness. In, in the wilderness of this world of mirages and false promises. And my friends, God is our source too. Come to me Jesus said, amid the thronging, noisy, chaotic worship of the temple, whoever is thirsty, come to me, and I will give you living water. And to a woman at a well, at a well. Jesus says to this woman who knows how empty you could feel after embracing men or things, I can give you living water that will well up from inside you and flow outward. And she does not know much about Jesus, but she knows that she needs and wants this. Oh, my friends, but what she does not realize at the time is that in order to have this fullness, this spiritual well of love bubbling up within her, Jesus is going to have to go thirsty. 
on the cross, he will experience what it has been like for us here. He will experience our deep, unquenchable thirst for something that lasts. And do you know what? He will be given vinegar on a sponge. Why? So that we can have the fountain of love that he drank from every day of his life. My friends, it is something that God still pours on us still. Do you know the story of Charles Finney? He was born in Connecticut, not far from here. He was a revivalist and a preacher in a very religious New England world. Finney had this experience of the lavish love of God, and all of a sudden he realized how cheap all of our substitutes were. He writes this, he said, The Holy Spirit descended on me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul, like a wave of electricity, like waves of liquid love. No words can express the wonderful love that was spread abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I bellowed out the unspeakable overflow of my heart. These waves came over me and over me and over me, one after the other until I remember crying out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. Or for a more recent example, if you like, I was talking with a woman not that long ago who has had only what you could describe as a spiritual awakening. As she said, the living waters of Jesus, they came and they filled up her heart and her life in a way that she didn't think was possible. She grew up a nominal Catholic. She thought it was about the rules. It was about minding the boundaries. She thought, I guess this is it. And then all of a sudden, God comes into her life, and she knows closeness and presence like she hasn't before. She knows the living reality of Jesus. Do you know what she said to me about it? She's looking back on this, and she says, you know, I thought that's all there was. Just life and kids and getting a job and like that was it. I thought all the joy was gone, the happiness fleeting at best. She forgot how much more was available. Now she remembers. She wants more of this. This God. This God who has given himself so fully and completely to us, which is what he has done for you, my friends come to you in story, in the deserts of this world, in living water, in bread and wine. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, the greatness of your love is beyond words to describe. By the power of your Spirit, liberate us from all self-centeredness, that we might be free to love others as Christ loves us. Lord, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Having wet our appetites for that which truly satisfies, Jesus does more than just show us what we need. He gives it to us. And not just with words, but with bread and juice, which are tangible reminders of his giving to us 
his own flesh and blood, the proof that God loves us to the depths of our being. Friends, what I'm saying is that we have come to this table and this table has been spread and prepared with everything that we need and God has done the work and he invites you now. So whether you are gathered in this room around this table or at home around your own tables, it is the Lord's tables, the Lord's table. And friends, all is ready, so would you come and eat with me? Let's pray together. Friends, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Blessed be your name, God of Abraham and Moses, for you loved the world that, and you did not turn away from it, even as it, because of sin, has curved in on itself, turning away from you. When your people were suffering as captives in Egypt, you heard their cries, you led them to freedom, and made with them a covenant life. When your people were perishing in the poison of sin, you sent your only Son to take our trespasses into himself to be our healing medicine. Suffering, death, and rising in glory, Jesus won our redemption and transformed our poisonous death into the serum of life. And so we give you thanks around your table with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, proclaiming together your unending praise, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Trusting God, your servant Jeremiah believed the exile of your people would come to an end. In this meal of bread and wine, you make us a promise that though our time on earth be short, our abiding with you in heaven will be forever. By the power of your Holy Spirit, make us rich in good works, generous and ready to share that we may take hold of the life that lies in you. By that same Spirit, make this bread and this cup be for us the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, who, at supper with his disciples, gave us this memorial of his sacrifice until he comes again. On the night of his arrest, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and after giving thanks to God, he gave it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant which is sealed in my blood and poured out for you and for many. Whenever you drink it, do this to remember me. For friends, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim together the Lord's death until he comes again. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Restoring God, whose Son was lifted up that we might look upon him and live, bring us through his cross to the glory of resurrection. Shed your mercy on those who look upon sickness and disease, and long for healing of body, mind, or spirit today. 
Deliver your children who are afflicted by the poison of enmity and strife in their families or neighborhoods or communities. Hold your redeeming cross before eyes cast down by injustice. Raise up in your church men and women of courage and discipleship. Lift up in every heart the hope born of your passion until all your children look upon you on the day when the world you so love is one with you in glory. And together with the saints, we drink the wine of your kingdom. Blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, brothers and sisters, the Lord has prepared this table for all those who love him and trust in him alone for their salvation. All who are sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and who desire to live in obedience to him are invited to come now with gladness to the table of the Lord. For my friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. It's been our practice as a church to take communion by having the elders distribute the elements among us now. I want to invite the worship team and the elders up to do that now. We also have the single-serve self-contained elements. If you would like one of those, those will be in the trays, and I also have them up here, so you can let me know if you'd prefer those instead. Soul is 
and sisters, remembering those gathered in this room, those downstairs, those in the back, and all of you gathered at home as well, take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Savior Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Brothers and sisters, take, drink, remember and believe that the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Amen. Refreshed, restored, reminded, set free. Would you rise in body and spirit? Let's proclaim our faith together, along with Christians throughout the ages and in languages all over the face of the world, saying together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. As we go, you go with God's smile, his face, his promises of presence and guidance, blessed, shining upon you. Would you lift your eyes, open your hands and receive it. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our 
Go now and be love and peace to love and serve Jesus Christ. Go in peace.